everyone. Jonathan Lee here, founder and creator of Bridging Legacies Across Campuses. Um, I have with me a wonderful gentleman today by the name of Carlin Howard. Uh, Mr. Howard, how are you doing? Thank you for joining. Doing well. Thank you for having me. Not a problem at all. Uh, Mr. Howard, normally as I start these uh, moments, I like to ask an uh, introduction for the listeners so they can know who you are, where you're hailing from, and kind of what do you do, sir? Yeah, so um, again, Carlin Howard. My official title is Chief Impact Officer for Equity Institute. We're based in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, we focus on helping schools and communities build sustainable and inclusive learning and professional environments. Um, much of our work is centered or focused on educator development, training, recruitment, retention, all the great things that um, are necessary to build a, um, a great uh, teacher workforce and just a, a great education system. Um, I I was born and raised in in Middle Georgia, um, you know where we say y'all and ain't yes sir no ma'am all that good stuff, um, and was fairly successful in school. And when I went to college, I actually went to college um, thinking I was going to be a lawyer. Johnny Cochran was my uh, hero, and I thought I was going to be the next Johnny Cochran. And I uh, uh, had every intention of going to law school. Well, my senior year of college, I had what can be described as a quarter-life crisis where I did not know what in the world I wanted to do with life. So um, on the suggestion of a friend, I applied for this program, uh, an AmeriCorps program, and that's how I ended up in Rhode Island. Uh, this program, uh, uh, which is still around, called City Year, national, even international, if you will, service program, uh, put me into a school where I served as a near peer mentor to young people uh, at a local middle school in Providence. And I loved the experience. I enjoyed connecting with younger people. Uh, and the impact that I was having was very real, very tangible, um, which led me to becoming a teacher. So I, I taught for a little bit. After that, found my way into working in policy for a little bit and into the nonprofit world doing out-of-school time programming, and then eventually co-founded the organization I work for now with my my partner, my life partner, and my work partner, if you will. Um, and we've now built up our organization uh, to serve a decent number of folks across, mostly in New England, um, with our base of operations here in Rhode Island. Oh, thank you. That journey is so deep and rich. Uh, one thing I want to talk about quickly is your demographic of Georgia and where you were born and with the y'all and yes sir, no sir, and that BIPOC that I can only assume of folks that look like you being around versus having been to Greenwich, Connecticut and spent a little time in Rhode Island. Talk, and I'm in Seattle now myself and know there's about 7% African-American. What is that demographic of numbers as you left Georgia and as you got to Rhode Island? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'll start off by saying, yeah, I grew up in a community where it was largely Black Americans. Um, the first time I ever felt like a quote unquote minority or a hyper minority in the sense of like, when I looked around, there was very, very little number of people that looked like me. It wasn't until I got to college, okay. right? So college was my first experience with that. Now, when I moved up here, it was actually interesting. I expected my experience up here to mirror somewhat my experience in college, but where I'm based at in Providence, it's very diverse. It's actually considered one of the most diverse cities in America. 
Um, What's fascinating about it for me, it wasn't necessarily me being the only one, but I found there's a lot of diaspora represented here, right? Things that, you know, for a lot of Black Americans, you don't necessarily learn or explore deeply the context of uh, uh, slavery that existed on other parts of the world and how that has impacted migration patterns and all these other things. And so you can definitely come up here in Rhode Island, particularly in Providence where I'm based at, you can see evidence of, of that. When you're talking about folks who have immigrated here from the Dominican Republic, um, Brazil, uh, the Central American countries, um, a lot of, uh, uh, you have folks who are West African from the Caribbean, et cetera. So, you know, all that to say is like, it's been, for me at least, it's been like living in an international city where it's like everybody is a little bit different. You know what I'm saying? Everybody is bringing a different culture to the table, which in a way makes it this beautiful blend where it's not like necessarily um, you're seeing any particular one group of people all the time. Now, you know, there's definitely conversations that could be had about the class right. stratification uh, along racial lines and things of that nature, which is another conversation, right? But That is, that is my Seattle conversation, the have and have battle. <laughs> it is drastically a dollar bill racial divide. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's big in Seattle with all the tech, so totally. Well, thank you for that. And as you talk about undergrad and, and, and Georgia and that, Talk to me about your educational journey. Where did that take you as you were in Georgia? And then what what have you done academically I mean, your studies and where? Yeah, so um, yeah, so after high school, went to University of Georgia. I went to school for political science, criminal justice, pre-law, um, as I mentioned earlier, intended to go to law school, right. yep. um, but shifted, shifted vibes there. And when I moved up here, when I um, went on the journey of becoming a teacher, I went back got my master's in education. Um, I was certified through an alternative educator prep program. Um, so I got my master's in education from Rhode Island College. Okay. Um, when I went into the nonprofit space, uh, participated in a nonprofit leadership and like manager development program. So I have also a certificate in lead uh, nonprofit leadership and management uh, from Tufts University uh, through a program I did at the uh, Institute of Nonprofit Practice. Um, and each one of those journeys or each one of those experiences along the way, um, as I got older, at least, you know, I transitioned from more of this, like, transactional way of thinking about learning and, and education where it was like getting as much knowledge and information as possible and having this exchange where you're, you know, showing off what you know, so more of this transform, transformational experience was more about you know, how do these things shape you and inform your experiences um, and give you language to understand your lived experiences? Oh, awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you touched upon it a little bit, but do you care to go back and kind of expand a little bit on um, that moment through maybe UGA undergrad where you felt that you were that Black man or not around your surrounding demographic of people? What was that moment? Can you give a little bit more detail and show a little bit more light on that? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, really, the first time I really thought about my blackness in the context of education was actually when I was in elementary school. I had to be probably like in third grade. But at the time, um, what was interesting for me, at least, is that a lot of my, a lot of my uh, friends who were white 
we're signing up for the Boy Scouts through you know, a little event that was promoted through our school. And, you know, I remember my mom went to the event and then everybody came back and was basically like, hey, sorry, you can't do it because unfortunately, they don't like people who look like us. I'm like, what do you mean by that? <laughs> you know, that's right. you know, the ideal of race for me uh, in a deeper way. Um, after that, though, uh, when I got to college, like I said, you know, just, you know, I always knew about racism and, you know, growing up in the South, segregation and discrimination and prejudice. But, you know, I actually saw it up close and personal once I got to college because, you know, there was definitely certain incidents that happened, such as, you know, not being able to get into a certain uh, establishment restaurant uh, or, you know, people saying very lewd things at uh, sporting events, you know, experience all of that, you know. So that's when, you know, I really got to got to sit in it and, and see how my position out in the world often um, puts people in a position where they feel threatened enough where they have to do or say something. Oh, yes. And too many times, man, that we, again, power of these podcasts. I hear that a lot in these moments of creating these, where it's a common thread um, of conversation and topic with the different people from different walks of life. So I say, thank you for sharing that, that testimonial there. Um, and kind of getting towards my last question, knowing what you know now as the wise executive director that you are and all the work that you've done in the travels, would you go back and tell a younger undergrad who looks like you is entering UGA or moving to Rhode Island? Uh, what would you tell them uh, about their blackness or their identity as a black male? Yeah, I think the big thing is that you are enough, you know, and and the and out of that, you know, also just recognizing and stating that um, I'm creative, resourceful, and whole, you know, because that was the message that I didn't necessarily receive from the outside world, you know, mama, mama definitely gave me that message, but that wasn't the message I necessarily received from the outside world. So I know for me, I did certain things in terms of trying to prove myself that wasn't authentic to who I am. So yeah, you know, I am enough. I am creative resource for the whole. And that's the, that's the message that I know I needed to hear. Oh, thank you. I believe the last podcast I did with the gentleman from Creed, he had the exact same sentiments that his words were, you are not enough. As he answered that question uh, down from North Carolina, he said the exact same words, you are enough. And again, I just say, uh, Mr. Howard, thank you so much for your time. Um, I, I say this all the time. I'm a huge sports person. I watch a lot of LeBron James and Draymond Green's podcasts and all the barbershop conversation I have. But I think it's imperative that we as black educators and black men have something educationally stood up like this um, because too many kids look up and want to dribble a ball but don't realize you got to get a job once those knees don't allow you to dribble that ball or shoot and you've got to do something else. And so I want to be able to stand this up and have something for my kids, my six and three year old to listen to as an archive that we existed and we were successful and we weren't just doing something as an entertainment, but doing something to build foundation for the next generation. That's right. I appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. No problem at all. Folks, this is another edition of Bridging Legacies Across Campuses, Our Faces, Our Voices podcast. Mr. Howard, till next time, I appreciate it. I'll talk to you later. All right, man. Appreciate it.